This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are going to jump back into the Gospel of John. So open your Bibles to John 15. We are in John 15 already, if you can believe it. Or maybe you're thinking, really, we're only in chapter 15. I don't know. I can't help you either way. Anyway, we're in chapters 15 and 16 today. Actually, I'm going to tackle two chapters because this is all part of Jesus' final words to his disciples, and it's kind of difficult to break it up. Um, The chapters and the, the little paragraph headings kind of cause us to break it up in our mind as we read it. Um, But if you kind of try to ignore that, or if you have one of those Bibles that doesn't have those breaks in it, then you can see how it all kind of flows together. So jumping right in here in chapter 15, I love these opening verses where Jesus calls himself the true vine. Let's just read them really quickly, ladies. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So I love these verses, um, partly because I spent a lot of time in them a few months ago, because I'm actually using this portion of scripture as uh, part of. Um, or I was going to use this as part of my presentation at the Answers in Genesis Women's Conference that was supposed to happen in March of 2020. And then, of course, the coronavirus came and here we are. So that's why these hold kind of a special place for me because I was in them so much so recently. And so um, I don't want to give too much of that away. But There's a lot of repetition in these verses, isn't there, ladies? There's a lot of bearing fruit, there's a lot of branches, a lot of vines, and yet there's really only one vine, isn't there? There are many branches, but there is one vine, and that is Jesus Christ. And he's saying here that we bear fruit as evidence of our salvation. And so if we had time to stop and really pause and go through this, we can see that because 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, verse 4, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we abide in Christ, as he is the vine, we are the branches, we bear much fruit. The fruit of our salvation. And as proof that our works, our good works, our works of holiness, our righteous lives, our fruit, you can see right here in these verses that we cannot bear fruit apart from Christ. I mean, he says it, right? You, you can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. Like, it's just there. So we cannot bear fruit apart from Christ. And so because of this really clear teaching, we shouldn't get hung up on verses like verse 14, which we didn't read yet, where Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay, he's not saying, like, you're only my friends if you do what I say. This isn't works salvation. This isn't works righteousness because we have this whole teaching up above that says that you cannot bear fruit apart from me. We must be in Christ in order to bear fruit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, therefore demonstrating that we belong to him and we are his friends. It's like this big circle. I'm making a circle with my hands right now. You just can't see it. And then I want to step back and go back to uh, verse 2, ladies. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I don't know how many of you are into gardening and things like that. I'm, I love flowers and I love gardening. The outdoors does not love me. Um, and... I don't have a place where I can have this nice big garden or a lot of trees to cut back and prune. But to prune, for those who aren't familiar, means you know that we cut back the dead branches. We, sometimes we might even cut back new growth so that the, the plant can get larger and bloom more. And every single plant has to be pruned in a specific way in order to bear more fruit. And if you think about it, maybe I'm taking the metaphor too far. Who knows? I don't think so. Each one of us is pruned differently, aren't we? We all go through different trials in our lives. We're all placed into different situations. We all live very different lives. Some of us live in the suburbs. Some of us live in the middle of the city. Some of us live out in the country where it's a little bit quieter. I envy you. Um, some of us have families, some of us are alone, some of us have family that isn't blood, but you know, is more family than our blood family is. Everybody looks different. Some of us have an office job, some of us are blue, have blue collar jobs. Some of us went to college, some of us didn't. All of this, it all looks different, which is why we can't look at someone and say, oh, well, I wouldn't do that with my life. Well, you can't do that because we're all different and God has placed us all in different scenarios. So you can't sit there and judge someone else's life based on a choice that you would make within reason, of course. I'm not talking about sinful choices. And so because we're all different and we're all in different life situations, it means that God prunes each one of us differently. He has to. It's a necessity. Okay, moving on. I'm getting hung up on that. 
In verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And I think sometimes we get these verses and, and we hear teaching like, oh, see, this demonstrates that God chooses us. Not particularly. That is in scripture that God chooses those who are his, but this is very specific to the disciples. Jesus is talking very specifically to the disciples here. But just as he chose his disciples, he chooses us today as his children. But it's interesting. He says, I chose you so that you should go bear, bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. And part of the disciples' fruit is us down through the centuries, isn't it? Because they wrote the, the New Testament and their teaching trickled down through time, through history, and here we are today. All right. Moving on, ladies, and we're not going to read through all of this because we're trying to get through both chapters here today. So in verses 18 through 25, we see things like, you know, we should expect persecution. Again, talking specifically to the disciples, but this is all a trickle-down effect. You know, here in America, where I live and where many of my listeners, but not all, live, we're pretty happy. We're pretty spoiled and we're not used to real persecution. And I think as things shift and change here in uh, this particular country, we're going to see a shift in how the church is treated, but that's all that all remains to be seen. So then in verses 26 and 27, Jesus goes back to the helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit again. I'm going to send the helper. He will bear witness about me. And now here we are, chapter 16. I told you we would get there. In the first four verses, we see this warning that the disciples will face opposition and just what a prophecy this was. Because remember, again, he's speaking very specifically to the 11 at this point, even though we can glean principles from this. I have said all these things to you, says Jesus, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you, are, you may remember that I told them to you. So he gives this very specific prophecy to the disciples, which of course came true. Then he goes on again and is saying, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, is judged already. I think that's really important for us to remember. It's just a matter of time before we see it all fulfilled. So the Holy Spirit is a pretty important person of the Trinity. And so, yes, it's sad for the disciples to have Jesus go away. He's right there. He's physically present with them. But the Holy Spirit will indwell them, be with them always, and never leave them. So in verse 16 and following, we see Jesus saying, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. And this is um, kind of an interesting passage, and I think we have some different interpretations, at least that I've heard over the years on this. And 
I liked J.C. Ryle's notes on this particular passage, these verses here, chapter 16, verses 16 and following. Um, Ryle says, there is a difficulty in this verse which requires consideration. To what time does our Lord refer when he says, a little while, and ye shall not see me, and ye shall see me? There are two answers. Some think, as Chrysostom, Cyril, and Hengstenberg, oh goodness, my German teacher just cried a little and doesn't know why, that our Lord only meant, in a few hours I shall be removed by death and buried, and then you will not see me, and again after three days I shall rise again, and then you will see me. And honestly, I think that's the interpretation that I hear most often. But then I thought this was interesting as Raoul went on. He says, Others think, as Augustine, Maldonatus, and Wordsworth, that our Lord meant, in a short time I shall leave the world, ascend up to heaven, and go to my Father, and you will see me no more. And again, in comparatively short time, I shall return to the world at my second advent, and you will see me again. I decidedly, J.C. Ryle, saying, I decidedly prefer the second of these interpretations. To explain the words, ye shall not see me, and ye shall see me, by our Lord's death and resurrection, seems to me a forced and unnatural interpretation. Moreover, it completely fails to explain the words, I go to the Father. Both here and all through the passage, I believe our Lord is speaking for the benefit of the whole church until his coming again, and not merely for the benefit of the eleven apostles. The true sense is best seen by inverting the order of the words. The time has arrived when I must leave the world and go back again to my Father. The consequence is that in a little time you will no longer see me with your bodily eyes, for I shall be in heaven and you on earth. But take comfort, in a little time I shall return again with power and great glory, and then you and all my believing people will see me again. And he goes on. And so I actually prefer that interpretation myself. So just a little something to think about. All right, moving through these chapters. In verse 30. Three, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And those are very comforting words for us today in the world with all that's going on, at least as I record this and most certainly even as it airs later in 2020. The world is a mass of chaos right now. And remember back in chapter 14, we said that J.C. Ryle said that this peace that God gives is God's peculiar gift to his people, peculiar being a very specific and particular gift for his people. Jesus is greater than any tribulation that could confront us in this world, and we should really take comfort in that in these trying days, ladies. Okay, as an endorsement today, I'm going to suggest to you, if you'd like to put down your theological books that you know you have to read because if you aren't reading one of those at all times you're probably not even saved that's sarcasm so don't panic um i would like to recommend the old classic sense and sensibility by jane austen and particularly karen swallow Pryor's version that recently came out she has an amazing introduction to the book i think it's the introduction is worth the price of the book alone um and then some really challenging questions as you read through each volume of the work to kind of help you reflect on what you've just read to help you learn how to read well, um, which in the times in which we live, you know, everything is so hurried. Hurry up. Let me finish this book. Let me hurry up and do this. Now I have to do this. And now I have to do that. And we don't pause and think about things. And um, there's a lot to think about in Austin's works. And so that's my recommendation to you today. 
And as a parting thought, ladies, we are in a time of utter chaos here in 2020. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world and don't lose sight of that in the midst of everything. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Thank you.